Um, how many of you guys enjoy going to the cinema? Many of you enjoy the cinema? Yeah, a few hands around the place. Um, it's one of Rosie and mine's favorite things to do. Or in the time gone past, when we first got married, we uh, forgoed having a, a TV license and just had a cinema pass. As uh, childless kind of newlyweds, um, we just went to the cinema several times a week. Um, I have to, so we, we love going to the cinema. You know, when you get a good film, um, particularly if it's some kind of epic adventure, there's nothing quite like going to see it on the big screen, is there? You know, Star Wars coming out next month, there'll be nothing quite like seeing it on on the, on the big screen and being able to watch it in the cinema. You know, but even though I enjoy going to the cinema still now, it doesn't even begin to compare to how I felt about the cinema when I was a child. Can any of you guys remember your first ever cinema trip? Yeah, a few of you. Can anyone remember what it is that you went to see? Yeah, oh, yeah, getting a few... Sh- you went to see the Queen's coronation at the cinema. Very good, Sue. Well done. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, bizarrely, I can't remember the first thing that I went to see at the cinema. But I do remember the experience of going to the cinema. Um, so I can't remember the film, but I just remember the atmosphere. I remember stepping into the place and, and queuing for the tickets. I remember the buzz of the atmosphere as all the different people around. I remember that we didn't get popcorn. We got a big bag of pick and mix and taking it into the screen. I remember the lights going down and the curtains opening and, and the kind of the, the sense of anticipation as the film begins. But one of the things which I really remember and stands out in my memory is actually what happened at the end of the film. See, at the end of the film, it was a, a, a strange cinema. It was a, um, a Warner Brothers in, up in Doncaster where I lived at the time. And, um, but at the end of the film, instead of you going back out the way that you came in, what they do is they open up the fire exit next to the screen. And so you go down to, the, to the, where the screen is. You go out the fire exit straight into the car park. Now, I was a child, so we didn't go to the cinema at night time. You know, that was bedtime, wasn't it? So we went to the cinema in the middle of the afternoon in the daytime. So it was, it's summer. It's the middle of the afternoon. And, and we step out of this the, the kind of the dark atmospheric cinema screen into this bright sunshine of a summer's day in mid-afternoon. And there's something about your eyes that just kind of squints and recoils. And you, you struggle to see what it is that's out there. You're dazzled by it. And even though it's a beautiful, bright, sunny summer's day, your eyes haven't adjusted. They've got used to the dark, and so being out in it seems uncomfortable and unpleasant. You know, when we spend a long time in the dark, it quickly becomes comfortable and what you're used to. Your eyes aren't strained in the dark anymore. You feel like you're able to make things out and to see things, and you're able to to kind of find your way around. But then when you step out into the light, it's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. You're blinded and you squint and you can't really see what it is that's around you. And in that moment when you step out into the light, in that moment when you feel uncomfortable, you've really only got two options. You can either retreat back into the dark place that you're used to. Or you can wait for your eyes to adjust. You can stay in the light so that as your eyes adjust, you suddenly can see more clearly than you ever could in the darkness. You suddenly can see more than you've ever seen before. And you know, when you're first exposed to Jesus' teaching, and time and time again when new aspects of Jesus' teaching hits you, it can be a little bit like that, that experience of stepping out of the darkness into a blinding light. And it can be like, whoa, can't quite make it out. 
And at first you might feel uncomfortable. At first you might feel like you're having to squint to try and see and to make sense of things. And there's this temptation to pull back and to go back into the darkness. To go back to what it is that you've always known. To go back to what it is that's comfortable. But Jesus says, stop, don't do it. You can stay in the light. Stay with me. Take time with me. Take time to learn from me. Let your eyes adjust. Let your thinking adjust. And you will find that you have an aha moment. And now I see it. Moment. A moment where everything clicks into place and your perspective changes. And you can see more clearly than you've ever seen before. And what didn't make sense, what seemed uncomfortable, what seemed you didn't seem to understand, suddenly all makes sense. And you see life in a completely new way. Now once your eyes have adjusted to the light... Once you see life in the way that Jesus does, you wonder, why did I waste so much time in the darkness? And the great thing is that Jesus came to shine a light into that darkness. He came to expose truth, to help us to see things as they really are. He came to reveal God to us. He came to show us who we really are and how we can have a relationship with God. And how we can enjoy life and life in all its fullness. And the great thing is that God doesn't want to be a mystery to you. I hope you know that. He wants you to know him for who he really is. He doesn't want you to to just know him as you imagine him to be. Or know him the way that other people have told you that he is. He wants you to know him for who he really is. And that's why God... As Jesus came to walk amongst us, to teach us and to reveal to us who he is. That's why when we, when we look at Jesus and with the encounters that he has with different people, time and again and again and again, we see what happens is that Jesus brings um, the truth about God front and center in their lives. And for those that were willing to kind of stand in that bright light... For those who are willing to embrace that truth and let their eyes adjust, let their thinking adjust, their lives were changed forever. And they were set free from fear. They were set free from guilt. They were set free from misconceived ideas about who God is and about how they can know him. You know, most of you all know we've been going through a series recently called Encounters with Jesus. And essentially what we've been doing is we've been being a fly on the wall. We've been looking over people's shoulders as they've met with Jesus and seeing what it is that we can learn from them. And what we discover in these encounters is that sometimes when Jesus brings truth front and center, somebody feels very uncomfortable. It can be like standing in front of that giant bright light that makes your eyes squint. And each time that happens, the person that Jesus is encountering has a choice. They can either stay with Jesus, take on board what he's saying, allow their eyes and their thinking to adjust So they can see things as they really are. Or they can recoil. They can pull back. They can stay with what they've always known, what they've always believed. What they're comfortable with. And stay in the darkness. And this morning we're going to look at an encounter with Jesus where we see someone faced with this kind of a decision as Jesus shines a light upon them. And we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. It's in John chapter 3. Um, we're going to read it together. You can look it up in, in your Bibles if you want. So I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 16, um, but it should pop up on the screen behind me as well. Um, this is what John writes. 
He says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, the first thing that we discover in these verses is who Nicodemus is. He's a Pharisee and he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. What that means is that Nicodemus is both a religious leader and a teacher. He's someone who has has kind of devoted his life to studying um, the Old Testament and to teaching it to other people. But he's also a political leader. The Jewish ruling council is this group of, of people who represented the rule of Rome to the people of Israel. So Nicodemus has an extremely important job. It's his job to keep the people of Israel happy with Rome and to keep Rome happy with the people of Israel. So Nicodemus is a leader in his own right. He's someone who is, has power and, and influence within society. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, this guy who has all this power and this influence in society shows this respect to Jesus. He looks at Jesus and, and, he, and he's, from what it is that he's heard of Jesus' teaching, from what it is that he's seen of, of the miracles that he's done, he recognizes Jesus as an honored teacher. He recognizes Jesus as someone who is from God and who God is with, who doesn't just talk the talk, but who walks the walk, who moves in power. Now, if, if, if you were in Jesus' shoes, how would you respond to Nicodemus when he's just said that? I think I might have said something like, good on you, Nicodemus. It's great that you can see something of the truth about who I am. I wish everybody could see what you see. But he doesn't say that, does he? Instead, Jesus does what he does so many times when we look at the different encounters that he has with people. He sees right to the heart of Nicodemus. To what it is that he's really thinking. To what it is that he really needs. To the questions that he really has. And despite his great statements about Jesus, Jesus knows that he doesn't get it. That actually this great religious leader is in the dark. 
He doesn't see who Jesus really is. And Jesus wants to go to the heart of that problem. And so Jesus decides he's going to shine this great, big, bright light of truth on Nicodemus. To expose to Nicodemus who he really is. To expose to Nicodemus where he really stands. To expose to Nicodemus and bring the truth front and center in his life. And Jesus says something that would have been shocking to Nicodemus. Something that would have made him uncomfortable and made him almost recoil. He says to Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now I don't think Nicodemus takes Jesus very seriously at this point. And I think, I think he kind of chuckles and he says, well, no one can enter a second time into their mother's womb, can they? And Jesus doesn't let it drop, though, does he? He wants to keep Nicodemus in the light. He doesn't want to let him pull back into the darkness. He wants to give him time to allow his thinking to adjust. In fact, Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus that to see or enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And he tells him the same thing three times. First in verse 3, then in verse 5, and again in verse 7. Now, if Jesus says something once, bearing in mind that he's God, how many of you think we should pay attention to it? So when Jesus says, goes to the point in a single conversation with a single person, to say something three times, just how important do you think it is what he's saying? It's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. So the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. You know, being a Christian is radical. It's not just adding a bit of religion into your life. It's not just having a particular belief system. It's a total radical life change within you from the inside out. And it's for that reason that it requires a brand new start. It's for that reason that it requires to be born again. And Nicodemus is dazzled in this light. He's squinting, he's trying to make sense of it, but he can't quite make it out. And he realizes that maybe there's something, maybe there's something he doesn't know. Maybe, just maybe, he, this great leader, has got something, well, could he have it wrong? Because there's something about this guy, Jesus. Nicodemus, he, he doesn't recoil, he doesn't pull away. He doesn't retreat to the darkness, but still he doesn't quite get it yet. And so, What Nicodemus is essentially struggling with, I think, is that despite all that he has ever believed, despite all that he's been taught, all that he's taught other people, Jesus is telling him that entering into the kingdom of God, going to heaven, isn't just a matter of being a good Jew. It isn't just a matter of being a good person. It isn't just a matter of living a good life or following a set of rules. It isn't just a matter of being religious and going to church and praying at the right times. It isn't even just a matter of of recognizing the truth about who Jesus is and that he's from God. Instead, Jesus is standing there and saying, entering into the kingdom of God has nothing to do with all these different things that you've believed, all these different things that you've trusted in, all these different things that other people have taught you since you were a babe, all these different things that you've been teaching other people. Despite what you've believed, you will never see or enter the kingdom of God until you receive a brand new life. Until something that you don't have, something that you you can't earn, something that you can't work towards, becomes something that you do have. Until you're born again. Jesus is saying the one thing that you need to enter the kingdom of God is a brand new start. 
It's a radical life change. It's a new beginning that you can't make happen, but is a free gift of God. The most important thing for you is to be born again. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of something called a bucket list. Anyone heard of a bucket list? Anyone have a bucket list? No. Okay. Well, a bucket list, for those of you who don't know, they're becoming increasingly popular. And essentially what happens is uh, people draw up a list of the things that they want to do or to experience before they die. I'm not entirely sure where the name came from, but I'm guessing it might have something to do with kicking the bucket. And I had a look online to see what kind of things people put on their bucket list, because I have to hold my hand up and say I don't have one. And the most popular things that kind of people put on their, their bucket list are things like um, that they, they want to climb Mount Everest, or they want to go diving in the Great Barrier Reef, or they want to learn a new language. You know, whatever it is, it's pretty much always some kind of experience or achievement that they want to do. So a bucket list is essentially a list of the most important must-have experiences in a person's life. And I want to tell you there is one thing that should be at the top of every single person's bucket list that will change every other experience that you ever have. And it's this. You need to be born again. So why do you think Jesus is trying to hammer this point home? Why do you think Jesus says to Nicodemus three times that being born again is the one essential thing that he needs if he's ever going to see or enter the kingdom of God? I want to try and and illustrate it with a a little diagram that can pop up. That would be great. You see, when you were born, when you came out of your mother's womb as this tiny little crying baby, you naturally came alive. You had a natural birth and you have a natural life. But the problem is that we're not just to have a natural life. That God has intended us to have a spiritual life with him. We don't just have a body and a mind, but actually we also have a spirit. And it can be easy to think, well, I'm breathing, I'm walking, I'm talking, I'm alive. Why do I need anything more than that? And the reason that we do is that there's this spiritual dimension to us that is at the core of our being. That without Jesus bringing it to life, is in the dark. It's blind and it's dead. Like Nicodemus, we might be searching and doing our best, but we can't experience life fully as God intended it. If we can go on to the next slide. When Jesus shines a light upon us and we're born again, we have a second birth, a spiritual birth. And it's like the light of Jesus shines into our spirit and the darkness is gone. We become fully alive. But when we're born again, if we go on to, to the next one, it doesn't just change our inner spiritual being. It goes on to, to change every single part of our lives because Jesus is the Lord of every single part of our lives. And so even more than just us, the light and the life of Jesus, it doesn't just remain in us. You might not come across very well, but where there was a boundary, suddenly the light goes beyond that boundary. It crosses the boundary. It shines out from us wherever we go into whatever situation that we face. You know, when we're born again, I want to tell you something. You will know it. And so will everyone else. There will be a transformation within you that is visible for everyone to see. It's an inside-out work. And it's the most important experience that is available to any person on the planet. And if Nicodemus, this great religious leader who had it all sorted, needed it, 
and so do you and so do I. And to help Nicodemus and to help us understand what it means to be born again, Jesus goes on to talk about being born of water and the Spirit. Now, when Jesus says we've been, um, we have to be born of water, he isn't referring to our natural birth. He isn't referring to, to baptism. What he's trying to take hold of is some imagery from the promises of God in the Old Testament that Nicodemus would understand. He recognizes that Nicodemus doesn't get it, that he's completely bamboozled, that he's squinting at the light and he can't make sense of anything. So what he's trying to do is to make it plain to Nicodemus by using something that he already knew about, by using something that he already understood. And what Jesus is referring to is a promise that we find in Ezekiel 36, Verses 25 to 27. If that can pop up, that would be great. And this is what God says there. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's a great description of what it means to be born again. You know, can you see in that promise of, of God to his people that we're to be a people who are born of water and the Spirit? You know, when he talks about being born of water, Jesus is referring to the forgiveness that we receive. All the rubbish in our lives, all the mistakes that we've made, all the guilt that we've carried with us being washed away. You know, some of you might have, have heard of um, the speaker J. John. Well, J. John tells a story about when he first became a Christian um, and how um, his mum was really worried about him. And, and his mum came along to him and she, and she said to him, John, I'm really worried that you've been brainwashed. And J. John is, is a very quick guy and a witty guy. And so he turns to his mum and said, Mum, if you knew what was on my brain before, you would be glad that it has been washed. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all done or said or thought or dwelt on some pretty rubbish things. Isn't it great that in Jesus we can be washed, washed clean? That he doesn't just wash our brains, but he cleans us from the inside out of all the mess of our old lives. But forgiveness and cleansing on its own is not enough. And thankfully, when we're born again, we're not just born of water. We're not just washed clean. We're also born of the Spirit. You see, Jesus didn't just come to deal with the old. He came to give us new life. You know, as we read in Ezekiel, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. You know, when you're born again, it is about God imparting his life to you, and for you becoming a brand new creation. You know, God doesn't just simply wash us clean and patch up our old heart and our old life. He completely transforms us and gives us a new heart and makes us a new creation. He gives us a new way of seeing and thinking, a new set of values and priorities. You know, when we're born again, we shift from being like Nicodemus, simply people who recognize Jesus as this good teacher who was from God. We shift from simply knowing about Jesus and and understanding something in our mind and enter into living a joy-filled relationship with Jesus where we know and experience God supernaturally at work within us. I don't know if you've ever heard um, the story about two caterpillars. Two caterpillars and they're they're whiling away the day, sat on a leaf, munching it slowly, 
chatting away, and then suddenly this butterfly comes soaring past them in the sky and makes them jump. And, and one caterpillar looks to the other caterpillar and, and says, you won't catch me going up in one of those. You know, we, we can sometimes be a little bit like that as, as, as people. We can look at Christianity from the outside and think, I don't know about all of that. Or as Christians, we can, we can believe in Jesus, and, but we can look at the work of the Holy Spirit or look at what it is that Jesus is trying to shine a light on in our lives and say, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure I want that kind of experience. But you know, if we can put the next picture on the screen, the caterpillar has a destiny. It's a destiny to be a butterfly. Imagine with me for a moment that you are Fred or Frida the caterpillar. You think you're enjoying life. You're spending your days crawling around, munching on leaves, happy as Larry. You're satisfied. But then one day a transformation starts to take place. You become a chrysalis. And then out of the chrysalis comes a butterfly. It's still you. There's still this continuity there, but how many of you agree that a caterpillar and a butterfly are radically different? Now imagine that Fred or Frieda, now a butterfly, is out there soaring and flying in the sky. Can you imagine that for one moment, that butterfly looks back and wishes they were crawling on a leaf again? Of course it doesn't. The caterpillar is soaring in the sky. It is achieving the ultimate purpose for which it was made. And I want to tell you, when you become a Christian, when you are born again, when you are filled with the Spirit, when you are made a new creation, you don't become odd. You don't become religious. You are simply transformed into the likeness of how God always intended you to be, to enjoy and fulfill everything that you were made for. You become a brand new person, a brand new creation, and you are able to enjoy God as he always intended you to, in relationship with him, and enjoy the life that he has for you here and now. There is nothing better. You will never look back and wish you were where you were before. The amazing thing is that even after this great explanation with water and spirit of being born again, using imagery from the Old Testament, Nicodemus still doesn't get it. In verse 9 he says, how can this be? He doesn't get what Jesus is trying to say to him. He wants to know how it's possible to be born again. And so Jesus, again, he wants to try and make it plain and explain it to Nicodemus in a way that he understands. And so he looks to another story from the Old Testament that Nicodemus would be familiar with to make his point. So he says in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is talking about Moses and and something that happened hundreds of years before his his conversation with Nicodemus took place. He's talking about a time when the people of Israel were wandering around in the desert and they started speaking out against God and complaining and saying all these different things and blaming God for stuff. And, And so God sends a plague of snakes in judgment and the snakes bit the people and they started dying. And the people, suddenly they come to their senses, they realize the mistakes they've made, they realize the wrong thing that they've done. So they come and they confess to Moses the wrong things that they've done, and they ask Moses to pray for them, and to pray that God would forgive them, to pray that God would heal them, and that he would take the snakes away. 
And so God tells Moses to put a bronze snake on a stick. It's a bit strange, really. But he tells Moses to put a bronze snake on a stick, to lift it up and in the middle of all of the people, and that anyone who will look at this snake on a stick will be healed. And Nicodemus would have been like, yeah, I know that story. That's what I get. And Jesus is saying to him, well, just like in that story, how the snake had to be lifted up and people had to look at the snake in order to be healed, the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Jesus is saying, I'm the Son of Man. And what I'm trying to tell you, Nicodemus, is that if you want to either enter, that if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. And if you want to be born again, then you need to look to me. You need to humble yourself and recognize your need and put your trust in me. You need to believe in me. Then an interesting thing happens. It all shifts. And you'll, you'll see if you look in your Bible, the quotation marks disappear. It's no longer Jesus speaking. John starts, who, who's writing this book, John who's recording this story of it that is happening. He interrupts the story with his own thoughts. He tries to give a summary and an explanation as to what it is that Jesus is trying to communicate to Nicodemus. And what he says is, is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not whoever does better than they did the day before. Not whoever comes to church every week. Or whoever lives a good life. But whoever believes in Jesus. Whoever humbles themselves and puts their trust in Jesus. Whoever looks to Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know, God went to incredible lengths so that you could be born again. So that you could be washed clean. So that you could be made a new creation and filled with the Holy Spirit. And have life in all its fullness, not just now, but for all eternity. God went to incredible lengths. And why did he do it? Because he so loved the world. Because he so loved every person on this planet. Because he so loved you. And he so loved me. Do you know why I'm a Christian today? Not because I earned it. Or because I deserve it. Not because I was first seeking God out in some great way. But because he had a plan in mind. And went to incredible lengths to rescue me. And to rescue you. Because he gave himself in the person of Jesus to be lifted up and crucified upon the cross. So that whoever believes in him. Whoever looks to him. Whoever humbles themselves and puts their trust in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. God gave his very son to die so that I might enjoy life. And so that you might enjoy life. And the great news is that these words of Jesus there about being born again, about being washed clean, about being given a new start and made a new creation, about being filled with the Holy Spirit so that you're so transformed from the inside out. These are not just words in a book. These are not just words that were true for Nicodemus as Jesus spoke to him. They're as true for us today as they ever were. 